connected. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man... His days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You may be seated. The Holy Spirit's letter to the Galatians. We will be dwelling in chapter 3 for the most part, but let me back up a little bit because actually much of what we prayed for and what are we praying for right now in this present world? We, uh, we are seeing here in the United States and around the world what appear to be great movements of God the Holy Spirit. 
But whenever there are great movements of God, the Holy Spirit, whenever God does pour out a spirit of repentance on areas and on people, there is always a satanic response. What has happened here in Galatia? Paul, the apostle, went to this Roman province of Galatia, what is basically in north-central modern-day Turkey, what's called geographically Asia Minor. He went there because God sovereignly sent him there. Paul had a problem that God just wasn't solving. Paul had a problem with his eyesight. And he couldn't get it solved, couldn't get it solved, couldn't get it solved. Well, there was known to be a naturopathic cure or something in that Galatian province that would address this issue. So Paul went there. Well, what was the real reason God sent him there? Because there was a ministry there. And while in that province, seeking a naturopathic cure for his eye issues, he founded several churches in that province of Galatia. Then having left that region, having established them, discipled them, given them gospel truth, following his departure from there, Judaizers came in, people who claimed to be Jesus' followers, but the format of their relationship with God was not the gospel. It was not God's provision. It was basically the pharisaical orientation, which Jesus had yanked the Apostle Paul out of. Paul had been the very thing he is opposing in this letter, because these people came in to these churches there in Galatia and they lied about Paul. They lied about how to actually have a vital relationship with the true and living God of Abraham. And Paul is rebuking their lies. The first two chapters, which we covered last week, is a narrative about Paul's experience among them, but also he is authenticating, in chapter 2, he authenticated his, the fact that he stands shoulder to shoulder with the other apostles. The other apostles do not disagree with Paul. He is not a minor league apostle. He is on the same level as the other apostles. And as we saw in chapter 2 last week, uh, in that narrative... Paul and Barnabas and Titus went to Jerusalem. And they sat down with Peter, also called Cephas, with Peter and the Apostle John and James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, who is called an apostle. He was also an apostle. There were more than 12 apostles. Barnabas and Paul sat down, and Titus accompanying them, sat down with them and completely explained the message that Paul and Barnabas were presenting as they roamed the world. And those three apostles embraced fully, completely their message. There was no disagreement. And Paul even says, here is Titus, a Greek who is with us, and even Titus was not compelled to be circumcised. All of that legalism that accompanied the law of Moses that would have formerly been required has been set aside. And then the second paragraph of chapter 2, P- 
Peter came up from, came, excuse me, whenever you're going to Jerusalem, you're going up. Whenever you're leaving Jerusalem, you're going. He came down from Jerusalem to Antioch of Syria, where Paul and Barnabas, the Lord has just kicked the door open to this ministry, and it is just an outrageous turning to the Lord in this Gentile region. Now, there are Jews, Jews there who have come to fit, become followers of Jesus as well as Gentiles. Peter came there, and Peter is having a blast. He is enjoying himself so much. They're having their love feast together, and he is reveling in this, no hesitation at all. And then some Judaizing Christians, those who still hadn't pulled themselves away from that tar baby of the law, the Pharisaical mode of life. They had come, they're professing Christians, but they're still legalists in their, false legalists in their understanding of how to have a relationship with God. And they come to the church at Antioch. They come to the public meetings, which they're meeting in homes. They're doing the love feast. They've got the buffet table over here. It's always, and Peter has been filling his plate at the buffet table, and there are some foods on that table that <clears throat> do not conform with the Levit Levitical mandates. And Peter has had no problem with that. <laughs> but then these fellows show up, and my imagination says they set up their own buffet table that only had Levitical conforming food. And Peter, ah, he picks up his plate, and he decides to go to the Levitical table, to the Pharisaical, and Paul publicly rebuked him. And Barnabas was actually imitating Peter's behavior. Paul publicly rebuked them both, and they accepted, they publicly accepted the rebuke. The only thing that gives us a welcome with God is what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. He went there as the Lamb of God. He was nailed to the cross. He was nailed to the cross. All of the lake of fire experienced due to the human race for an eternity was poured out on God the Son, become flesh, fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. All of the judgment due to us was poured out on him. He paid sin's penalty, to die, paid in full. He paid sin's penalty that gives the, our Holy Father perfect freedom to forgive us. That's the gospel truth. Anything that minimizes that or adds to that, all I need to do, my sole participation is holding out an empty hand and receiving the benefit. All I have to have is enough faith to hold out an empty hand. Yes, God, may I please receive the benefit your Son created for me on by what He endured on the cross. And God's uniform answer is yes. Now, God incites me I appreciate our systematic theology class because one of the things that Brother uh, Brandon has emphasized, 
we, are, we do that because we're incited by God to do this. You know what, folks? We're rebels. We are, I don't care who you are, you're self-righteous. <laughs> you always believe you can make a way for yourself. No, you can't. God sent his son to pay sin's penalty on the cross because there was no other way. And God, one of his innate traits is he is a God of love, mercy, grace, kindness. And that compelled him to send his son and his son that compelled his son to come and compelled God the Holy Spirit to sustain the entire operation. The triune God so loved us that God the Son did, the Father sent him, God the Son came and the Holy Spirit sustained it all. And all my whole sole participation is holding out that empty hand as I am incited to do and enabled to do by God the Holy Spirit. The Judaizing Christians have come in to these Galatian congregations and they have lied to them about how to really find a welcome with God. Whether they are actual Christians or not, I don't know. Only God knows that. But they've been lying about what is the true message from the God of mercy. And part of their attack has been to attack Paul. Oh, Paul isn't really an, an apostle on the same level as Peter and John and these others. No, no, no. That's why Paul laid out the narrative of when he and Barnabas went to Jerusalem. They were fully embraced by the other apostles. Your message is perfectly matches our message. They are all pre preaching the God of mercy and what he has done through his son. So the narrative laid that out. And so he's denying, he's showing these men who have subverted the, that these men who have subverted the Galatian churches are in fact liars. Both about what they're saying as far as doctrine, but also about who Paul is. And so we pick up here in chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians! Folks, in the Roman Mediterranean Greek world, to call somebody a fool is the biggest insult there is. Because if there was anything about the, the Greek culture that they elevated, it was wisdom. Why, we Greeks, the worshipers of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, we are the culture of wisdom. No, you're fools. If you're going to reject God's message, you're a fool. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you Who has stepped in, in with Satan's animating power, and he is the liar of liars, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. I clearly explained the gospel to you. You, ex you embraced that Savior that Redeemer, He embraced you back. And now you've let someone come in who is defiling that message, who is frankly blaspheming the Redeemer God, and you're not kicking them out? 
Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? This is entirely animated by Lucifer himself. That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly, was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. You understood and welcomed the message of Jesus' crucifixion and the and impact it would bring to you, the benefit it would bring to you. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Stop, stop, stop. What is the number one proof to God's authentic people that they have been embraced by God? Coinciding with that moment, we are born... God the Holy Spirit takes the initiative. We're hearing the gospel message. God the Holy Spirit takes that message, makes it clear to us, makes our spirit alive. This is John chapter 3. Nicodemus, you must be born from above. It's heaven's initiative to make your spirit alive to God. But in addition, once you've been made alive to God, you're shepherded into the kingdom. And... From the day of Pentecost on, every single authentic believer is indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. What is the proof of proof of proofs that we are welcomed by the Holy God? Because the third person of the triunity, God the Holy Spirit himself, comes and dwells within us and we become a temple of God, a dwelling place of God. What more powerful proof could there be? What more powerful proof could there be that the Holy God has welcomed you, but the God, the Holy Spirit Himself, comes to dwell within you? Did you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God because you became such wonderful legalists? This only I want to learn you from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? I heard the gospel message. By faith, I received the benefit and God granted to me that proof of a welcome with Him by the Holy Spirit taking up residence within me. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made, being made perfect by the flesh? Why does God grant the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to us? Because we can't serve God in an effective way or in other than an offensive way by the strength of our own fallen nature. That's when he's talking about flesh. He's not talking about your, your flesh and bones. He's talking about your fallen nature. Left to ourselves, we are twisted. We're bent. We're dead to God. You're going to use that fallen nature to serve God? Excuse me? No. No. If you're out on your porch or on somebody else's porch and they've got brisket going on the grill and you're standing over that brisket and you're <sighs> and it's all done. It's ready to be taken to the table and they bring out a beautiful tray to put it on 
and they go out into the yard and they pick up this filthy, dirty shovel that's been laying out in the dirt and they come, okay, now I'm going to shovel shovel the brisket off the grill onto the... No, 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 no. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. You have to use something that's clean, something that's worthy. God the Holy Spirit is the one who dwells within us so that we can present an offering of ourselves to God that is worthy. Our flesh pure, strictly defiles what should be a good offering to God. Having been made alive by the Spirit, having received the Spirit, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh that had utterly failed you before? Have you suffered so many things in vain? And in fact, they had suffered rejection by their culture, by their community, because of their loyalty to Jesus when they were there being ministered to by Paul and receiving the gospel as it really was. They had received, have you suffered so many things in vain for nothing, if indeed it was in vain? I'm doing my best, Paul is saying, not to throw in the, <laughs> in the towel on you guys. That it wasn't in vain. In fact, God is going to restore you. That is my hope. That's the reason I'm writing this letter to you. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What does Paul say? He hammers it here in Galatians, but also in Romans. What is the purpose of the law? Is there anything wrong with the law of God? There is not one single thing wrong with the law of God, except that it doesn't produce life in us. All it does when we are exposed to the law, if we are responding to it as God purposes us to respond to it it tells us what our failures are what our sin is it doesn't solve our problem it discloses our problem and then God steps in with the cure and that is what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross that's the cure the law is the diagnostic tool and that was the term I hammered going through it in our study of Romans the law was a diagnostic tool that told us what the problem was Jesus is the great physician he solves the problem therefore he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Let's look at Abraham. Now, who is, uh, if you go into the Hall of Fame of the Jewish faithful and you walk in the front door, anybody here ever been to the Baseball Hall of Fame? I went there when I was a little kid up in Cooperstown, New York. You walk in the front door, and here are these bronze plaques. You walk down halls, these bronze plaques. Well, you walk in the front door of God's Hall of Fame, one of the first plaques you see right there when you walk in the front door is Abraham. Because Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You mean Abraham wasn't a law keeper? Abraham didn't even have the law. As Paul's going to point out here, they don't get the law from Mount Sinai for hundreds of years. 
what was the message Abraham heard? He heard the message of mercy and grace. I am calling you, Abraham. I'm going to send you Genesis chapter 12, and I'm going to give you a land. He promises Abraham the western third of the Fertile Crescent, one of the most agriculturally productive places on the planet. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a seed that cannot be counted. I'm going to give you more descendants than you can ever possibly count. And I'm going to give you a blessing. And I'm going to bless all the nations through you. By the way, simple question. Was Abraham a Gentile or was he a Jew? He was a Gentile. He wouldn't, they wouldn't get the, that's Genesis 12. They wouldn't get the ritual of circumcision, which sets apart the Jews as an ethnic group till chapter 17. He is hearing this as a member of the nations. And the same faith that God granted to Abraham that he would believe God to do for him what he could not possibly do for himself, that's the gospel template. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, that's quoted, that's from Genesis 15, where God had promised Abraham, Abraham's about 90, this is 20 or 30 years after the Genesis 12 promises, and he and Sarah still haven't had one child. And he's sitting there, and God says, if you can count this, and he's just in despair. This He's in despair. And God says to him, that's when God says to him, if you can count the number of grains on the seashore, you can count the number of, your, of sand on the seashore, you can count the number of your descendants, you can count the number of stars in the sky, you can count the number of your descendants. And Abram believed God to do for him what he had proven he couldn't do for himself. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's the gospel template. For us, Abraham believed, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. If you're not walking in imitation of Abraham's faith, don't call yourself a son of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, before he became a Jew. He's speaking to the Gentile Abraham, who is the father of all nations, Gentile and Jew, so to speak. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations all the nations, not just Israel, shall be blessed. And how does God create that blessing? Because he drew God the Son, become flesh. Where did the, what was the flesh part? What was the people part? It was Abraham's descendants. In you, all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham, the Abraham who exercised faith. When we walk in imitation of Abraham's faith, we receive the Abraham blessing.
For as many, verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Ouch. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. How many times do I have to rebel against or fail to keep God's law before God says you are rightfully condemned? Once. How holy is the holy God? He is absolutely immeasurable in his holiness. There is not the slightest taint of failure, of sin in the holy God. And all it takes is just a drop of sin in me to make me as unlike God as I can possibly be. But because of his aggressive love and aggressive mercy, he sent his son to pay sin's penalty so he could solve our uns- left to ourselves unsolvable problem. He solved our unsolvable problem. As many as, as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. As we went through Romans, what was this? Of the Ten Commandments, Paul actually pointedly only cites one. Which one was it? Number 10. You shall not covet. This is hidden. Covetousness is hidden. Human eyes can't see what's inside your mind and heart. Now, if you shoot your mouth off, that's your problem. But the human race can't see that. But number 10 is you shall not covet your neighbor's life, wife, stuff, reputation. You're not to murder your neighbor. You're not to rob your neighbor. You're not to commit adultery with your neighbor's wife or spouse. You're not to speak evil of him, destroying his reputation. And you also are not to even want to do those things. And that is the commandment that that Paul cites. Why? Because the Pharisee of Pharisees, known as Saul of Tarsus, I would dare say that commandment was the one that was beating him up like nobody else could see it, but he was under conviction of having violated that sin. What is being a Pharisee all about? It's about jealousy. It's about your reputation. And I want to have a better reputation than the other Pharisees. I want to have a better reputation than the Sadducees. I want to have a better reputation... What's that? That's envying your neighbor's status. That's hating your neighbor. That no, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for what does it say in the scripture about him? It says in the scripture, Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. We transfer our faith, our trust, from our own works to the promises of God, to His work. That's the simplicity of a relationship with God, is we walk in understanding of who He is and what His promises are, and we trust that. And we abandon the trust in our own capability. And we trust in Him. That's the simple format. 
that the Pharisees and other, all these pagan religio- religious people refused. But that's the format God welcomes. What's the moral requirement to have faith? There isn't any. You can be the most wicked guy. You can be that guy crucified beside Jesus who's been mocking him, who then says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? You will be with me this day in paradise. And what did the centurion say after Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? This fellow who was crucified that he saw forgive his crucifiers. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What did that centurion say? Truly, this was the Son of God. I've never seen any crucified person or really anybody else on the planet act like this. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Curses everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law. It's an all or nothing thing to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Direct statement from God the Holy Spirit through the pen of Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.4 Yet the law is not of faith. It's about performance. The law is not of faith, but the man who does them, the, the commandments, shall live by them. Except it never works. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He became a curse for us. He, the condemnation righteously due to us was laid upon him, and God gave to him on the cross the treatment we deserved. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. What in the world? You go back to the book of Leviticus. When you get into the land and you get settled in the land, if you catch, if you catch someone who has murdered his neighbor, or if you catch someone who has committed adultery with their neighbor's spouse, you are to stone them publicly stone them to death, and then take their carcass and hang it on a tree. But you are to get that carcass off that tree and into the ground or into a tomb before the sun goes down. So everybody that's hanging from that tree has already been stoned to death. They are cursed. But you get them in there. That's why they had to get Jesus and the two men crucified with him off their crosses before the sun went down on the day of Jesus on the day of their crucifixion, because Leviticus required it, and the Romans didn't want to create a riot, and so they conformed to the Jewish demand, and they put a spear into Jesus' side and saw the fluids were separating. Well, that was they knew that was proof that he was already dead, and they broke the. The two men crucified with him so that they would suffocate because you can't breathe if you can't push yourself up on that, on that nail through your feet. So they suffocated to death. They were all put into 
into a grave or into a tomb before the sun went down. But here is it in the why would God put that? Why did he do that thing about putting those carcasses up on a tree? Well, it was to be a warning to any potential murderers, adulterers, but also he knew what he was going to send his son to. He knew. Curses everyone who hangs on a tree. That he took our curse. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That the blessing of Abraham, that man gladly embraced by the holy God, might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit, that super proof of our welcome with him through faith. The only thing we brought to the table was our faith, our empty hand, and he filled it. He responded to our faith, which, by the way, was something incited in us by him to begin with. How big a God of mercy is our, is our God? He is the God, he is the shepherd that pursues us out in the wilderness when we're not even looking for him, but he looks for us and brings us home. And we can be very, very grateful that that God of mercy is our God. We will pick up uh, with verse 15 next time, which is about half the passage I thought we were going to cover today. So you'll forgive me, please. (laughs) Our Lord, we do want to thank you. You're so grateful that the creator God who holds the creation in the span of his hand, you are not only the mighty God, you are not only the holy God, you are the merciful God, the aggressively, aggressively, aggressively merciful God who swept us up and brought us home in your shoulders rejoicing. You are more eager to forgive than we are to even ask for the forgiveness. You love mercy. We thank you that that is the reality of who you are and what you do. We ask that every single person here will have a deeper, clearer grasp of your gospel truth, your good news to us. To embrace it and be embraced by it. And that in the week to come, you will kick open a door of opportunity for us to share, be used by your Holy Spirit to share this gospel with someone else another lost sheep whom you are seeking. We ask for this and give us alertness to the the opportunities you present to us. We ask this of you, good shepherd. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to invite you to...